Hi, I'm Bob Ekblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple. Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. I want to talk right now about how we find our way to the people to whom we're sent. And um, like, how do we actually make our way guided by the Spirit and by our own sense of direction and our calling? You know, how do we, how do we really reach the people that we're called to reach? And uh, I'm going to be looking at Acts chapter 16, the story of Paul and Silas's second missionary journey, and beginning in verse 6. They passed through the Phrygian and the Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. So here, uh, as in many places in the book of Acts, Jesus' uh, disciples, or in this case, uh, the Apostle Paul and Silas, were uh, just choosing to go about their missional activities um, based not on God necessarily sending them, but on just a sense of calling, I guess, a sense of, of what they felt like they wanted to do or, or thought they should do. And uh, But in this case, the, the Holy Spirit forbids them to go into one place. And I wonder how they would know that it was the Holy Spirit that was forbidding them. And um, and then in the next case, it's the Spirit of Jesus that doesn't permit them. And um, so there's, those are two things, being forbidden to do something and then not being permitted to do something, two different words. And I wonder how we can tell the difference between the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus and whether that's important. seems like it is important because that detail is here. Um, in in the book of Acts, and you know, it's it's this fascinates me. This whole question of our own agency versus the Spirit's guidance. You know, back in um, earlier in Acts, we have Philip, who, in response to the persecution after Stephen's uh, stoning, his martyrdom, this church is scattered, and he goes to Samaria and preaches the good news to the people of Samaria, and. There's a huge revival there. Many people come to faith. There's lots of healings. But there's no mention of him being sent there. And then um, same thing when he goes to the road, the desert road to Gaza. You know, there's no mention of him being, um, you know, being, well, he is sent by an angel to go to the road to Gaza. But then he's left on his own to figure out what to do a lot of the time with uh, really minor little directives from the Spirit. But in this case, um, Paul and Silas, they're, they're stopped. And um, then in verse 9, we have sort of this green light of and some clear directives. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. So this isn't a dream. It's not a dream that's mentioned, but um, a vision appears to him. So it is. I assume he must have been awake. And I wonder what that was like. But um, here it tells us what it was like. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So I love this. It's um, it's not an angel. It's not um, just, uh, you know, it's not God. It's, it's just a man. And they identify him somehow as from Macedonia. And he's standing and he's appealing to them and just saying, come here to Macedonia and help us. And uh, there's no religious language. I preach the gospel to us. I mean, help is a religious word. Um, but it doesn't have to be. And then it says, when he had seen the vision, immediately 
we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And, um, and so we have a man who's calling, but then they, un- they interpret this as uh, a call to preach the gospel to them, plural, to the people of Macedonia. Um, but I like the details of a, of a Macedonian man, and I want to follow that through and see if that takes us anywhere. Anyway, uh, so putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis. Uh, so, so far, so good. There's no, uh, you know, the Spirit's not forbidding them. Jesus isn't, the Spirit of Jesus isn't, prohib- isn't forbidding them. And from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. So here they arrive in the capital of Macedonia, Philippi, and they stay for some days. So there's no uh, super clear directives from, from the Spirit, from anyone. They, uh, we don't know what they were doing, uh, perhaps just contemplating and, and seeing if anything struck their attention, got their attention, and then it does. Verse 13, And on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to a riverside, where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. So once again, no one directing Paul and Silas, just them supposing, okay, out by the river, um, there there may likely be a place of prayer. I, I don't know how that was a really common thing, whether people would, would that was common to go outside the gate and, and have there be places of prayer. But whatever the case, they went there. And, um, and so they're not in a place of worship. They're not in a synagogue, anything like that. It just says that we sat down and we began speaking to the women who assembled. So it's women. It's not a Macedonian man. Uh, they had assembled, like, apparently, to you know to listen to Paul and Silas. And um, and then we have this mention of Lydia, a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So here we have something that is uh, right out of Luke Luke 10, isn't it? Luke 9 and 10, when Jesus sends out the, this 12 and then the 70, and he tells them to stay in the homes of uh, those who you know are the people of peace. And so, you know, here uh, Lydia has to prevail upon them to stay there and they and their ho- and they they come as guests and but this is after the Lord's opened her heart. We know that she was a worshiper of God, but we don't know which God exactly. You know, um, the dominant God of that place would have been Zeus. And um, you know, but I love the, that you know the writer of Acts, you know, kind of gives her um, you know, has a really open heart towards her by but without I mean, not excluding her in any way, but including her as a believer, uh, a believer in God, even though it's she's clearly not yet, um, when they first meet her, a believer in Jesus. And I also love how it's the Lord who opens her heart to respond to the things spoken, which I think is is an important indicator for us. You know, we go out and we're faithful. We try to be faithful. We, we proclaim. But really, it's up to God to open our hearts. And... Uh, God, I just pray right now that you'd open our hearts to respond to the things uh, that you want us to respond to in your word right now, we ask in the name of Jesus. 
So she responds by uh, she and her whole household being baptized. And, um, and then Paul and Silas, I guess they figured, wow, that, that was a great experience. Let's do it again. So it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her master much profit by fortune telling. So now we have um, this slave girl who meets them. And, um, and we were told something about her, that she has a python spirit. Now, the python spirit was um, a snake spirit that guarded the oracles of Delphi, which were, that was a common uh, kind of a religious practice of, you know, the oracle of Delphi. Delphi was a source of prophetic revelation. And so this, this slave girl was a fortune teller who was inspired by that spirit. Following after Paul and us, okay, that seems like a good thing, right? I mean, Jesus says, follow me. So they're following after after them. And uh, she kept crying out, saying, these men are bond servants of the Most High God, which would have been Zeus, right? These men are bond servants or slaves of, God, of Zeus, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Um, so she continued doing this for many days. So, um, you know, Paul is, um, you know, is going around and it doesn't say even really what he's doing, but these people are following uh, behind him, this girl. And um, Paul was greatly annoyed. And this is a critical moment in the whole story because this is really how Paul ends up uh, finally meeting the Macedonian man. So he's greatly annoyed or in another translation would be greatly grieved, but I think annoyed is probably a good translation because he turns and he says to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her at that very moment. So Paul reluctantly um, exercises this demon out of the girl. This is Delphi, the spirit of, um, excuse me, the Python spirit. And when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. So now we have the powers, you know, we have this term uh, exousia, you know, the powers and the principalities in a way um, come into play here. And when they brought them to the chief magistrates, okay, some, some other language that fits into the category of the powers and principalities, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. So, wow, we have anti-Semitism at play here, don't we? You know, their ethnic identity is being forefronted and... Of course, we know that um, the masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, which was, we as readers are given that, you know, that insider scoop. Um, but here, they're not saying that that's their motivation. They're saying, look, the whole city's being thrown into confusion by these Jews. And so they're, you know, they're, they're kind of scapegoating them, aren't they? And um, accusing them, falsely accusing them. And they are proclaiming customs which it is not lawful for us to accept and uh, or to observe being Romans. So there's sort of a, a you know, like an ethnocentric mindset that is at play, like these guys are being othered and they're being, um, and there's a patriotism that is being maybe appealed to as well. Like, uh, hey, these folks are foreigners, they're outsiders, they're, they've got customs that are strange, that are different, like, uh, you know, these... These um, the owners of the slave girl, they knew exactly what to do to stir up the crowd. And then in verse 22, the crowd rose up together against them. 
and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. So these guys get a complete, like, flogging. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So, um, wow, these guys are really in trouble. And, um, and yet, here we are, the first time we have a singular Macedonian man. Um, you know, we've had Lydia and, and the women. We've had the slave girl and the, you know, the two owners, you know, the, her masters. And, uh, and we have the magistrates, you know, but now we have um, a lone individual who's the jailer. And he, you know, has them under lock and key in stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And um, this is beautiful, you know. Um, you have Paul and Silas who are just going along with the flow. They could have intervened and said to the magistrates, look, we're Roman citizens, because they do that afterwards. You know, when the authorities tell them to, to leave, um, they appeal to the Roman citizenship status. But if they had appealed to that um, that Roman citizenship identity, you know, if they pulled out their passports, they would have never found themselves uh, being held by this jailer. And nothing um, of what happens next would have, would have happened. Um, so then verse 26, in response to their singing hymns of praise to God and, um, and praying, and with the prisoners listening, suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. So, wow, this is a super uh, packed out verse here. You know, we have um, an earthquake, which is something that is something that features, you know, when God is intervening in different places, like there's an earthquake when Jesus dies. Um, and, you know, uh, the tombs are even opened at that point when Jesus cries out with a loud voice and releases his spirit. Um, there is uh, this word, uh, the foundations of the prison house were shaken. That brings, that uses language that is straight out of um, like lots of different biblical texts in the Old Testament and New Testament. The word shaken is the word salueo. And um, that word features in, in a couple of really important places. Like one is um, Psalm 81 of the Septuagint, which is Psalm 82 of the Hebrew text of our normal English Bibles, which says, God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. So this is the, the rulers, the powers, you know, the, this is the arche, which is the language of the powers and principalities. He says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? And then there's this word, you guys vindicate the weak and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. So those are imperatives that are given to the powers, to the rulers. And then verse 5, they do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. So, in other words, the, the powers and the principalities, you know, Paul in, in Ephesians 6, he says, you know, we are not, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the 
of world for forces of darkness in the heavenly places, right? Um, and um, anyway, so they're described as walking about in darkness, these powers. And then the next verse, all the foundations of the earth are shaken. And, uh, and it's like that is, um, that's, a, that's the language of judgment that we have um, in, in numerous other places in, in the Bible. Let's just look at another example of that in Psalm 46, which would be Psalm 45 in the Septuagint. So beginning in verse 4. There's a river of, uh, there's, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. And this kind of reminds me of the presence of God that, that comes on behalf of Paul and Silas and the prisoners. You know, um, then verse 6, the nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice, and the earth melted. Now, in the Septuagint, um, you know, the, the kingdoms tottering is the kingdoms are shaken. Um, and... Um, and so here we have, once again, that same language of, of the powers. You know, um, if we go to the New Testament, we have Matthew 24, where Jesus talks about sort of the, the end times. He says, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Salueo again. And... Um, and that, that's, we see that in Mark 13 and in Luke 21, uh, the powers of the heavens will be shaken, you know, at the things that are coming upon the world. Um, when Paul, um, or when Peter is brought before the authorities and, um, you know, he's incarcerated after the first miracle at the beautiful gate and he's prohibited from preaching. He and John are prohibited by the th religious authorities from from speaking the name of Jesus, from doing anything in the name of Jesus, um, they get he gathers after they are they're released with the other uh, disciples. They're gathered together, um, and when they do that, and they they pray, and and you know in the aftermath of the threats, uh, the place where they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And then a final text is Hebrews 12, 26. And his, that is God's voice, shook the earth then. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And once again, that's the language, Salueo, same word. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of all things which can be shaken, as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken will remain. Okay, so that's... Um, all of that shaking, you know, which leads to the opening of all the doors of the prison and the, you know, the chains falling off the hands of all the prisoners. That is um, something that happens when in direct response to, you know, the Paul and Silas praying and singing praises to God. Um, and it's, and it's really this miracle that um, leads to, you know, the next event, which is the conversion of this jailer. And so let's check out um, in chapter 16, beginning then in, um, you know, in verse um, 27. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he threw his sword, 
who drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And, uh, and he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So um, the jailer is awoken by this earthquake and by, you know, by the doors all opening and the chains coming off of all the prisoners. And immediately he's thinking, oh, no, you know, I'm, I'm dead. I'm a dead man. Like, you know, he was responsible to hold all these prisoners as, you know, in this Roman, Roman city. And um, so he's about to kill himself. And uh, Paul, you know, rather than seizing the moment to run away with all the inmates, he cries out with a loud voice. Um, this is the same language, actually, of, of Jesus uh, crying out with a loud voice uh, from the cross. And he says, you know, in this case, don't harm yourself, for we're all here. So, so Paul intervenes to stop a suicide. And he calls for the lights, the jailer does, and he's, he comes trembling with fear and falls down before Paul and Silas. So this is a saving action um, where Paul... Um, you know, um, really surrenders his own himself and the other prisoners to the authorities uh, after, you know, God has freed them or, you know, opened the doors and, and removed the chains. And it's that, um, and it's really speaking as a free agent to this jailer that, um, you know, that leads to the guy's conversion. He, he wants to know, what do I have to do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all of his household. And he brought them into, into his house and set before them a food and, and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with all of his household. Wow. So once again, this um, the conversion of the jailer leads to uh, the jailer actually washing his wounds and uh, and then immediately he and his whole household are baptized. So it's very similar to Lydia. And like Lydia, he brings them into his house and feeds them. And then they rejoice, he and his whole household. So if we go back to just the beginning and we look at how, you know, when Paul sees the vision a vision appeared to Paul in the middle of the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealed to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Here we can see that um, they determined that that vision, um, you know, was was a sign that they should go and um, preach the gospel to to them, which is what they did. They, they preached to these women, to Lydia, and they delivered this slave girl of, of the Python spirit. And then now they're preaching to the jailer and they're preaching the good news. So what they're doing here is really in alignment with, you know, Jesus's mission in uh, that we see clearly in the book of a book of Luke. And of course, Luke and Acts are written by the same person. And the first time we see Jesus as the subject of that verb, uangelizo, um, to preach the good news, is Luke chapter four, verse eighteen. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. So 
Jesus identifies himself as the one who the Spirit of the Lord has come upon at his baptism and anointed him to preach the gospel to the poor. And then we see um, that that includes also release to the captives, which is relevant to our story in Acts, isn't it? And then we see repeatedly in the book of Luke, um, like Luke 4, 43, he says to the people who want him to stay in their town, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So, you know, Jesus just knows what his mission is. He, he came to preach the gospel to the poor. And, and so he's, he's moving from place to place just based on what his mission is, which I think that's what we see, you know, Paul and Silas doing. Um, we see that um, in Luke 7, uh, Jesus tells the disciples of John the Baptist to go and report to John what they'd seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. See, same verb, uangalizo. And then Luke 8, soon afterwards, Jesus began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And um, and Luke 9, departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And um, and really, that is the the mandate. And so, Paul and Silas, that's, that's what they've determined uh, that they need to do because they've gotten this, this vision of the Macedonian man. So, so how do they actually get finally to their final destination? Well, we see that they, they just go in the direction of Macedonia based on the vision. And they go to the, you know, to the leading town, leading city, which is Philippi, to this Roman colony. Um, they stay there a few days and they just suppose that there's a place of prayer outside the gate by the river. So they go there. So all the way up to this point, we just see them taking initiative based on an initial vision without anyone guiding them. Then um, when they um, are proclaiming or they're, they're speaking to the women and the language isn't even the, the verb, uangalizo, uh, like preaching the good news. It's just they began speaking to the women assembled. And um, just kind of normal language, not, nothing spiritual there. But it's um, the Lord who opens her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. So this is the first mention that we have of God um, intervening. And he, and he intervenes to open the heart of the people. Paul and Silas are being faithful there. They're just moving along. And they're not even preaching to a, to, to an, a lone Macedonian man at this point, but to, you know, to Macedonians. And... And then, then they're baptized. So um, Paul and Silas, I assume, just knew that that was the next thing to do. And then they received the hospitality. And then once again, they, um, you know, they we have this next encounter, which, which seems to take quite a while. It's like you know, Paul and Silas, uh, they were they were they were going around for quite a while with this slave girl uh, crying out behind them. These are servants of the of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And, and that, uh, you know, finally, uh, they get tired enough of that. Paul does to, to be so annoyed that he turns and he casts out the spirit. And it's really that act of, um, you know, of freeing this girl from this Python spirit, which, uh, you know, which incites, uh, these, uh, I mean, which stirs up the, 
you know, the, the owners to incite the crowd to, to get these guys beaten by a mob and, and cast into, into the, into the prison. And so really the way that they end up, um, you know, really finding their way before the lone Macedonian man is, you know, is, is sort of a, is it a haphazard sort of way? I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of indirect. We can see the hand of the movement all the way through that leads them finally into the inner prison, um, where they're prisoners of the very man that they're called to, um, they're called to. And, um, anyway, I just, I just love this, you know, once again, they're praying and they're singing hymns of praise to God and the prisoners are listening. And then, then we see that God intervenes, um, for the second time and, um, and final time. Uh, but it doesn't even mention that God does it. God, it's, it's like the passive. There's the passive, the divine passive here. So the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Okay. Well, who, um, who caused the earthquake and who, um, shook the foundations of the prison and who opened the doors? You know, um, it's, there's no mention of it being Jesus or the Holy Spirit or God, but that's assumed, isn't it? And, um, and then the jailer, he responds and, um, and it's Paul. Uh, he, he responds wanting to kill himself. And then Paul springs into action and acts as an agent of, of real, of salvation and, you know, and intervenes and stops the suicide. And that leads to this, uh, you know, this guy wanting to know what does he have to do to be saved? And then they call him to believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and all your households. So this is the first real content we're given about what we have to do to be saved and um, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then it says they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in the house. And we don't know what that word of the Lord consisted of exactly, but I can believe that it, it could have looked like something like Ephesians 2. You know, while we were dead, and while you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. I mean, all these guys um, that would have been in the prison, a lot of them probably were there for, you know, for crimes and, you know, maybe they were living the crazy life of the, you know, the streets. And, you know, I don't know what kind of crimes they were, they were guilty of, but, you know, Paul's preaching to a jailer who knew about people who were misbehaving, right? But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated him with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Um, verse eight, for by grace, you have been saved through faith and that um, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works. And that's, this is exactly what Paul is uh, modeling here. You know, when he cries out to the jailer and just says, you know, with a loud voice, he cries out, you know, um, don't harm yourself. You know, we're all here you know, a complete act of grace to somebody who had just, uh, you know, been 
the guy that um, threw them into the inner prison and chained them all up, right? And was holding them um, and detaining them. And even though they were Roman citizens, uh, though they hadn't stated that. And so we have um, this act of, uh, it's the grace of God that this jailer and his family are experiencing, um, you know, being being really loved and cared for by by the people that they just uh, arrested, right? And after they were beaten. And then that leads this, uh, this man to be, to be baptized and, um, and to welcome, you know, them into his house. And so I, I just wonder what the content of the, of, of proclaiming the word is, but, but we have so many places we could go to, you know, in, in Paul's writings and in, um, in sermons that are written in the book of Acts as well. Anyway, so that's what I wanted to share is just, uh, that adventure and which t- t- I find just really inspiring. I want to learn how to be more sensitive to um, when I'm being blocked, you know, not by, uh, I want to be able to tell the difference between being blocked by, you know, by, you know, by the dark side and being actually stopped by, you know, by the Holy Spirit or by, or by the Spirit of Jesus. And, and then I want to be attentive to the way that God reveals uh, God's will you know, in terms of where we're to go next. And I'm sure you do too. So let's pray. So Jesus, I ask that you would really clarify for us where you're calling us and help us to persevere and um, to just be willing to go and surrender ourselves to the journey that you have for us to, you know, to practice your uh, beautiful mission of proclaiming the good news to the poor and, um, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom to the oppressed. Help us and um, empower us and give us courage. And thank you for um, just this powerful witness of Paul praying and singing praises and and just um, your intervention, you know, to bring, um, to bring freedom in such a miraculous way that led to this jailer, this Macedonian man's conversion. Help us to to just raise our expectations for what you want to do in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.